I want to start by asking you a question. What does it look like to be rebuilt spiritually? In this series, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. We've called it Rebuild and Rejoice. And so far, I guess the first few chapters, they go and they've rebuilt the walls. And at the end of chapter six, the job done. They've, the physical rebuilding of the wall has been done. The, the physical rebuilding of the city has been done. In chapter seven, which we didn't read, but basically it's just a list of a lot of different people that returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's kind of a list of those that have returned from exile and are now in the city. And then at chapter eight, we kind of turn the page, if you like, to the point where now the city has been rebuilt physically we see that there's also a concern about being rebuilt spiritually. The, the people of God, it's what, you know, we rebuild, but we want to rejoice. We want to, be, we want to be stirred and rebuilt. And that's what we're going to look at today in chapter eight. We're going to look at some of the, I guess, four things that indicate that help them to begin to be rebuilt spiritually as a people. So we're going to be in Nehemiah 8. And just to say, actually, that there's some churches even to this day, that when it comes to the word of God, the Bible being read in their meetings, in their assembly, they will, they will stand. They'll do it out of reverence and respect. It's a custom that, that we would do in certain settings. You know, a bride walks into to a wedding, we will stand. You know, when I was in school, the headmaster comes in, we stand out of respect. And, and in fact, it's actually a custom that you see in scripture. You see it in, that it would have happened in the passage that we're going to read today. The people would have stood hearing the word of God. And so, although it's not our usual practice and it's not something that we're necessarily going to start doing, on this occasion, why don't you stand with me, wherever you are, uh, as we listen to and read the word of God together today. So I'm going to begin at Nehemiah 8. It says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hikiah, and Messiah. And on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshatlam, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Shabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave meaning so the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, 
This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go in your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to the Lord our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, don't be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it to all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it was written. So the people went out and they brought them and they made booths for themselves each on his own roof and in their own courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day that the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of God. So I want to draw out four things from what we've just read of what the people of God did to rebuild spiritually. And the first thing comes in the very first verse, verse one. And the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. You see, the, the thing that they were interested in doing straight away was gathering. They probably had other things to be doing, but you see the importance for them of being a gathered people. We've been talking about that a lot, of, of we've been rebuilding, and it's almost like we ain't, we ain't making this up. It's, it's from the text, it's from the book. People, There's something about the people of God gathering together. Reminds you of Hebrews 10, 25, where, where there's an instruction, don't neglect the meeting together as some are doing, but make sure you're together. They was passionate about it. And so they find a space that was big enough for them to do it, the Watergate. Why there? Well, because it was a communal space, big enough where men and women and anyone who could understand, children would have been there as well. In the temple, there was restrictions on size and, and, and about who could be there and who couldn't be there. And so they gather in this big place and they get together. And you think, wow, Fantastic an encouragement to us, to all of us, to keep gathering together. Maybe you're even watching this on the line and we know there's some that, for health reasons, actually they can't gather physically with us and the online resource has been a blessing but for lots of us, at times it's been, actually maybe we'd rather be indoors. But there's a challenge and encouragement from the word of God today to say, no, gather. As we rebuild spiritually, we must be together. And so that's the first thing they do. So they gather, but Why? What for? Is it a social? And these up? Is it a jolly up? A get together? Well, no, we'll see when they gather what they do. And the first thing, they gather, the first thing they do when they're gathered is they hear from the word. They, they, they have a word. 
It says, doesn't it, in, in verse 3, that he's got the law and that he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. It's a long old preach, by the way. Early morning until midday in the presence of the men and of the women and of those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we've got this four or five hour uh, kind of reading from the word. Some of us grumble about 25, 30 minutes, you know. They, they've gone all day for, and they're standing, by the way. No chairs. They're standing for hours hearing from the word of the Lord. And the thing that I guess struck, strikes me the most about it is that it says that their ears were attentive to the law of God, to the book of the law. They would have been reading from the Torah. Their ears were attentive. I think that's a challenge to us, a challenge to me. In fact, it's a prayer for us and me. Say, Lord, pray, help our ears to be attentive to your book. Help our ears to be attentive to your word. Because often our ears can easily not be attentive to it. We've got no problem listening to podcasts an hour long. We've got no problem listening to radio and to things on the TV and to other bits and pieces. But sometimes when it comes to listening to the word of God or to hearing it preached, we can switch off. Can disengage. Sometimes when it comes to reading the word of God, we can switch off, we can disengage. And so uh, it's a challenge, a prayer for us that our ears be attentive as their ears were attentive from midday through till morning. And, and, and later on in verse 18, it says that they did this practice of hearing the word day by day. They have a festival and every day they, they saw that it was important for them to come and to hear the word of God. And that's what they did. They gather and they hear a word. And then later on, we're told that there's a, a list of Levites. Levites were those that when you kind of read through the scriptures, uh, you know, in 2 Corinthians, they were the ones that, uh, 2 Chronicles, sorry, 17, they were instructed that they could teach people the word. They, and so that's exactly what they do. It gives a list of names and it's like they, they wanted to make sure that they understood it. It says that, you know, that they gave clear meaning to it. It's like the first small group model, if you like. You kind of got these, these people here, they've read the law and now they've got some that are, are helping people to understand it in teaching. Not everyone could read or was it literate in those days. So there's those that are just helping people to break it down and understand it. It's why we teach the word of God today. Because in order for us to be able to apply the word of God, we need to be able to understand the word of God. And so we see this model to us in Scripture in scripture. And this is what these Levites were doing. And, and it's again, it's a reminder to us that it's not just a preacher who can, who can kind of share the word of God and give people meaning in it. We'll do it in groups all the time. We'll do it with one another all the time. And so they gather, they hear a word. Or well, how do they respond to the word? It tells us in verse six, they worship. It says, Ezra, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. They lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Their response to hearing the word of God as they gather is corporate worship, gathered worship. They, 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 they proclaim, Amen, Amen, we agree. Ezra's saying, bless the Lord. They're saying, yes, Amen, Amen. They repeat it. It says, they lift their hands. There's something about our body language. When we lift our hands, it's what's going on inwardly, we want to show it outwardly. We want to lift our hands to God. 
I've, before, you speaking to the blokes in particular, sometimes you get, oh, I'm not really into sort of, you know, a lot of men don't really like to lift their hands. It's not just a nonsense. Go to football matches. We're doing it all the time. You, you look in big crowds or in party, people lift their hands. And, and this is what we do. It's an instruction in Scripture. We lift our hands to God. We, we lift our hands to heaven. And that's what they did in, in, in Scripture. They said, amen, amen. They lift their hands and then they bow down. Their, their faces to the ground. They're, they're full of awe and worship. And so they gather and they hear the word. And, and, and what I find interesting in their, in their worship response is that in amongst it, as they're breaking down the law, it tells us that there was basically there was repentance. As they're worshipping, as they've heard the word and they're worshipping, it says that the people were mourning and weeping. What's that about? It says it in, I think it's verse 9. You know, you know don't mourn. It says they, 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 they mourned and wept as they heard the words of the law. And essentially they're, they're, they're repenting because what's, it's dawned on them how far away they've been from God. You've had a moment like that where it's, it's, you've been doing something wrong for ages and then you have a moment when it just dawns on you. Uh, let me maybe give you an example and just to warn you, some of you, your opinion of me is going to change after this story. Some may suggest that I should no longer be in a leadership position. Others, maybe I should be locked up. But I was one of those people that for years, years and years, though I didn't have children, I would park in the family spaces at the supermarket. I was a long-time offender. I'm not proud of it. It's just what I did. And it was only when I had a child myself, Grace, that I, I, went, I saw someone else doing it and it meant I had to park in this little position and I, I couldn't get the car door open to get Grace out. And in that moment, the Lord convicted me of my sin. Yes, my sin. Now, I'm kind of joking a little bit, but on a serious note, I actually started to feel really bad. I was like, hey, oh, why did I do that for so long? Now, that's a, a trivial example, but you, you get the point. Maybe a, a kind of more serious one is from my university days, or my late teen years, watching pornography. And then one day I heard someone speak to me about the link between pornography and sex trafficking, and I was overwhelmed with the guilt and the sin of what I'd been doing and what I'd been engaging with. felt sick to my stomach. I was, I was mourning, wept, there was tears. And it's like the Lord opens your eyes and you're like, no, Lord, I, I repent of that. I turn away from that. This is what's happening with the people here. Because for generations, they'd been ignoring God's instruction and his word. They'd been doing their own thing. They'd been marrying people they shouldn't have married. They'd been doing things that they shouldn't have done. They'd been living lives in ways they shouldn't have done it. And in that moment, it's almost like as they've heard the word of God, as they're in his presence and worshipping him, the weight of that has just began to crush them and they're just weeping and mourning, oh Lord. And they repent. And in fact, we're going to talk a lot more about that next week because you'll see that this kind of pattern, of this kind of theme of repentance is a strong one. And so we'll look a lot, lot more of it next week. But we see it that often sometimes in worship, we can, as we're worshipping God, some of what we're doing is acknowledging where we've wronged him and we're turning away from it. And so they gather, they hear the word, they worship God in response and begin to be taught and, and, and there's a whole melody of things in that. And then the fourth thing that they do, which is the thing that I guess I want to focus most on, spend most of our time looking at, the fourth thing that they begin to do is feast. 
Nehemiah and Ezra, so Ezra is the priest at the time, they're the ones that are gathering the people and they're like, what? why are you, you, stop your mourning, stop your crying and your weeping, you, you're all sort of down in the dumps. And he wants to try and explain to them that this is supposed to be, uh, we're about to enter a season, a feast of celebration. It'd be like you're going to a wedding or it's, it's your birthday and you, and, and you turn up, you know, and, and, and everyone's crying and mourning. You think, no, this, this ain't the time. There might be some things you're going through. You, you might be in a difficult spot, but we've come to a wedding. Now's the time to celebrate. You're a birthday. That's kind of the sentiment that he's getting at here. He's like, no, stop the mourning. He says, in fact, he says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Verse 9, do not mourn, do not weep, for the people would wept. And so he's kind of trying to, I guess if you like, show them that even in, in the pain of your sin, uh, this is going to be a time of celebration. And this is probably the most important point that I want to make to us today, that we, that we get from this text. That even the sorrow and despair of sin should not hinder our joy in God, but in fact should lead us to it. Let me say that a different way. No matter how dark and, and sinful and heavy your mess and your rubbish and your sin is, it shouldn't lead you away from God, but should draw you to him. The whole point of the scriptures in, in this is, is what he's trying to draw out the people. This kind of amazing thing that when we look at our mess and our rubbish and all the things that we carry that we're not worthy or that we're not good enough, in fact, it should lead us to rejoicing and celebration because we know that the Bible says where your sin abounds, where your sin increases, so does grace. That It says in the Bible that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so when we realise I'm so far off, I carry all this baggage and mess and rubbish, it shouldn't lead us to being down the dumps, it should lead us to celebrating, rejoicing. Thank you, Lord, that despite my mess, despite my rubbish, despite my sin, you love me and there's grace for me because of what your son Jesus Christ has done. This is what the, the sentiment that they're trying to draw out and teach to him here. In fact, he goes on, he's talking about we're going to have a feast and, and, and the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. He's kind of trying to say, that even in sin, there can be joy. Although it's important that we repent of sin, although it's important that we acknowledge it and turn away from it, as we turn away from it, we turn to God in joy and in celebration. And, and I want to labour this point because I, I see so many Christians I said, there's so many of us that live our lives under the weight of sin, walking and people moping about, so down because, oh, I've not really prayed this week, I've not really been, oh, I didn't go to the prayer meeting, or, oh, yeah, I, I mucked up a couple of times, and just spend their whole lives letting Satan accuse them and put them under guilt and condemnation and being down in the dumps, mourning and weeping. And the Bible, the Bible says that because of the grace of God, that, that, that we're free from that. Maybe a short illustration to, to help you understand. I don't know if you've ever watched The X Factor. I've shared this before. I heard it years ago. If you watch The X Factor or any show like that, you, you'll notice that what they do, the, the concept of the show is you have a singer who's, who's coming to sing week on week and, and they're trying to make sure that they get the votes of the public. And if they sing well enough and they get the votes of the public, they get through to the next round and they keep going and going until they get to the final. And if they win that, they win a recording contract. 
And what you see is that each week these people come out and they're under this immense pressure to perform. You, you can almost see it on them. They're thinking, oh, I've just got to do well so I can get the votes. And, and, and it's like week on week, you kind of, it's building the pressure until they get to the final and then they win. And it's like, wow, they've won the recording contract. And my favourite thing is that once they've already won, what they used to do is they say, why don't you just come out one more time and just sing, sing a song for us. And they come out and you see the performance. It's done with like such joy. Big smile on their faces. They're, all the other contestants come out and dance around them and, and they're, they're just enjoying themselves. Why? Because they know they've already won. They're not trying to win the contract. Brothers and sisters, that's what our Christian life should be like. We've already won because of what Christ has done for us. We're not performing week on week to try and get his approval. We're not performing to try and stay in the show and the competition. We've already won. Our Christian life, we should live day by day in joy, like that final performance with smiles on our faces, full of joy. Why? Because of what Christ has done and we're in him. This is what he's saying. When the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Christians, we should be people that are marked by joy. People should see us, they, got, they, they, they carry a joy. Not a blind optimism or just, oh yeah, we're always happy all the time and we're ignorant to hardship and difficulty and pain. No. We're those that despite and even in the midst of difficulty and pain and hardship, we still have joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not the joy of circumstances. Not the joy of money or family or holidays or career or kids or whatever it is where people find their source of joy. Things that are, yeah, they can bring joy, but they're temporary. Our joy is in the Lord. The source of our joy is in the Lord. That regardless of what we go on, can remain there. Which is why Paul, even when he's in prison, said, no, I've got joy. Which is why the disciples in Acts, when they're about to be threatened for their life for preaching Christ, they come away rejoicing. Which is why for me and you, when we go through difficult times, when we get caught up in sin, when we go through pain, when we go through difficulty, the joy of the Lord is our strength and there can always be rejoicing and celebration because of who he is and what he's done. And so they're instructed in, 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 as a way of celebrating, as a way of marking this joy. Go and feast, he says. Go on your way, eat the fat. That's like eat the good food, eat the good stuff. Listen, if you're going home after church today, listen, eat the good stuff. Enjoy it. He says, drink the sweet wine, the good stuff. That's the stuff you've been saving. Drink the wine. And then, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day. One of the things that you see in joy and celebration is, is, is the kind of component of generosity. The Bible says we, he loves cheerful, joyful givers. And there's something in here. He's saying, not only are you feasting, one of the things about feasting and enjoying is also being generous looking out for those that maybe don't have. We've even done that in part today as a part of our service. We've, been, you know, we've had these kind of uh, Vision 2030 gift days. We've come and we've joyfully given, knowing that it's a way to celebrate the Lord. And so he instructs them to do that. And so they, they basically, and it kicks off this basically festival that lasts like a, a, a kind of week-long festival where they just they build booths Basically, they kind of build these temporary dwellings using palm branches and other things in their houses and in, in the courts. And they're supposed to remind them of the time that they were in the wilderness, the time when they were uh, kind of wandering in the wilderness and God was faithful to them in the past, in the present, and he'll be faithful in the future. And so they, they basically just spend the week doing that. They spend the week gathering together 
you know, uh, hearing a word, day by day hearing the word, worshipping God and feasting with one another. And it's the feasting that we see time and time again in Scripture. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of celebration and of, being, and of knowing God and being known by him that we're invited to his table. And so you see, it, there's loads of references in Scripture about eating. We know that, Isaiah 55, those who are thirsty, come and drink. Jesus in Luke 14, blessed are those who eat the bread of the kingdom. The beginning of scripture we see it. At the end of scripture, Revelation 19, blessed are those, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ comes. There's going to be a feast with his bride. Because when we feast, it's a reminder of the blessing that we get of food from God, but also the inclusion that we can come and sit at his table. He's invited us to feast with him. It's a, it's a celebration. And so that's what they did. They did it all week long. And friends, as we are being rebuilt spiritually, you and I, that's what we do. We do, it to, we, we do it today. We do it when we come together. We gather together as God's people. We hear from his word. We worship together. And we enjoy the feast of the table. We did it last week when we took communion. We come to the table. I guess to finish, oh, I just want to say this. Because we see this pattern about how do we be rebuilt spiritually. Well, we've, we've kind of seen a model here for us. And, and the whole thing just points me to Hebrews 12. Because in Hebrews 12, we get this description about Christ Jesus, where it says that he endures the pain and the shame and the misery of the cross. Why? For the joy that was before him. He knew what he was going to do, what he was going to achieve on the cross, defeating the power of sin and death. In other words, his joy was his strength. Well, friends, because of what Christ Jesus has won for us, as we gather today and hear his word and worship and feast at his table, it's because of him that our joy of the Lord can be our strength. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this model that we get in Scripture. We thank you for these things you've instructed us to do, gathering as your people. And we thank you for the word of God that instructs us and teaches us and, and challenges us and, and draws us into your presence and draws us into your grace and your love for us and of worship to you. And Lord, I want to pray for all of us. May the joy, may your joy be our strength. May the joy that's found in you and only in you the joy of the Lord be our strength to celebrate and worship and praise and to walk with you, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.